Well, good morning, Overlake. It is wonderful to be with you today. Um, I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Why don't you grab your notes out of your handout? Uh, Greg's right. We're week three of Glorious Mess. We're trucking through the book of Jonah. And um, in the very beginning, we talked about how Jonah heard God's call in his life. I got to tell you, I've had some great conversations over the last couple of weeks of overlakers who have walked that road, who are listening to God's call in their life, talked to an attorney who's bringing her legal expertise. She feels like God's calling her to wade into the area of human trafficking and, and come against human traffickers. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of hearing God's call and responding. Talk to a fireman who really has felt like God calling him in the midst of his day. As he's um, diving into scripture, God will bring different people to his mind. So he'll just text them encouraging notes. And uh, just, again, these are ways that God is stirring and calling. And I pray that you are having those same kinds of experiences as you journey with us. Now, Jonah heard God's call clearly. But he didn't respond like that. He, he ran from God's call and he ran into a mess. He dead end, he dead ended into a mess of his own making. Now, I just want to begin with this reality that so often we're the ones who make our own mess. We have a couple of visuals to show you. This kid got into mom's bathroom and It's a mess of his own making, right? Here, we got another picture here. This architect just, it's just a mess waiting to happen, right? Now, this last picture, it's a little bit tough. It's not just that the, the tree has fallen on the truck. It's, I don't know what that man's doing with the branch on the other. It's just this weird kind of mess. And, and I bring this up to just highlight the fact that so often we're the ones who are responsible for the mess that we're in. I made a list of all of the different times that I had gotten into a mess of my own making. And then the list was way too long. And it's just so embarrassing uh, to think about. These are scenarios that I wasn't just involved in that I was responsible for. I want to share with you one of those stories, and it's a pretty safe story. It happened in my college years. I, was, I went to Pepperdine University, by the way, best school ever, founded by Solomon. You can look that up. And, and I'm at Pepperdine uh, in my sophomore year. I get, I get busted for stealing a mattress. Now, here's the deal. Stealing is such a hard word. We weren't going to steal it. We're just going to borrow it, you know, for a year. And... Um, uh, but my, I didn't even need the mattress. My buddy was the one living off campus. He needed the mattress. I happened to be the one with the truck. So you know where this story goes, right, Mike? If your friend asks you to jump off a bridge, you know, and all that. So, so I was the one with the truck. He calls me up. We get together. We go to the first day of school. We drive on campus to the supply dorm. So all sorts of chaos happening on this day that, you know, all of the parents dropping their kids off for the first time and you got underclassmen weeping and you got over, uh, older classmen looking at the younger classmen and sizing up how many hotties there are. There's all this stuff going on and at the supply dorm, just chaos is students are coming in and grabbing what they need for their dorms and that kind of thing. So I pull up with the truck and we go in, we grab the mattress, we come, we throw it in the back of my truck, we drive off. Of course, we were spotted by the fuzz. Now, these, these are not real policemen. Uh, the, they're rentals. Uh, we called them campus security. They weren't packing real heat, but they did have other authentic equipment. They had the walkie-talkies and the flashlights and the handlebar mustaches and the fondness for the word negatory. 
And they gave us full chase, sirens blaring, in their golf cart. Okay? So my truck, I'm in a Nissan, a little 1.5 cylinder Nissan, and I'm flooring it, and we're, haul- we're going upwards of 30, 31 miles an hour up the hills of Pepperdine, and I start to hear sirens from these other uh, sections of the campus. Now, Pepperdine is a pretty sleepy campus. There are only two entrances to the campus. They both have gates, and both the gates are manned by campus security. So I start to realize the folly of our plans. It should comfort you that I am no criminal genius. And, and, and with all these sirens all around, I didn't know what else to do. So I pull into a parking spot. We park the car. I get out. I give my buddy the keys to the truck. And we sit down on the ground and we put our hands behind our head. And campus security descends. There were like 10 vehicles and a helicopter. There was a SWAT team, a canine unit. Um, that's how it felt anyway. Pepperdine is a really sleepy campus. And so this was high drama. You would have thought this mattress was pure diamond. Okay. And I was busted. There was no way out. I was caught red handed. And I got more community service hours than is possible for a human being to fulfill. I still go back there on weekends with my family. (laughs) My kids doing time with daddy. We're picking up trash, you know. Now, what's the point in this crazy story? The point is this, that God did not give up on Mike Howerton in that moment. And when I did the other stupid things on my list, when I ran my dog over with my snowboard, that just happened last week. When I almost burned the town of Durango, Colorado down, it was an accident, right? Honest mistake. Like God did not give up on me in those stupid, messy moments. And God did not give up on Jonah. And God has not given up on you ever. Okay. So that's the beginning. That's the premise. That's where we want to go. The message is called how to get out of your glorious mess. And, and the beginning really starts with the question that you have to answer. How messy do you want it to get? How messy are you comfortable with your life getting? As you run from God, what are the limits, right? Do you want mess to dominate and overwhelm your life? See, there's all kinds of different messy destinations out there. There's Pulp Fiction kind of messy, which thankfully is too violent for most of us to handle. There is the um, hard-hearted Pharisee kind of messy, where you don't have a problem at all. No, not you. You're perfectly normal. You're fine. You're on the straight and narrow. The whole world's a mess, but you're absolutely golden, except for the fact that your soul is frozen kind of messy. And apparently there's the, I've just been swallowed by a large aquatic animal, messy. And that's, that's where we find Jonah in the midst of this story. Now, the caveat for this is maybe you're here and you don't identify with mess at all. Maybe there's nothing messy in your life right now. And you're just sitting back and you're looking around. You're going, man, everyone else is a mess. And really, I'm, I'm fine. Well, here's a little caveat for you. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Okay. All of us are just one or two dumb decisions away from being in the belly of the beast. The scripture actually says this. The apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians ten twelve: If you think you're standing strong, be careful. For you too may fall into the same sin. And in regards to Jonah, what this verse says is that we are all one bad decision away from a whale colon. All right, you can write that down. I'll let you use that. You can put that on a bumper sticker. 
And, and so I really do want to just, no matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum today, no matter where you are on, on sort of the journey of mess, whether you have none or you're knee deep in it, here's the deal. That we can learn some incredible things from the person of Jonah. We can see as we walk through the book what it is that God has for us today. And so if you're filling in the blanks, the first one is really simply the glorious truth that God is all I need. God's all I need. And so here's Jonah. He's been running from God. Now he's in the midst of the mess. This is what it says, Jonah 1.17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Okay? The Lord provided. God is all he needed. Some of your translations actually say, and God arranged for fish. I love that idea. It's like, you know, calling up RSVPing, you know, like a, a large fish near Jonah's boat at 10 p.m. You know, like, I just think that's so cool. God provided a fish. God is all he needs. Now, many of us in, in today's world with our, you know, technology and our uber sophistication, we read this verse and we have trouble with it. He's inside a fish for three days and three nights. How's that work? That just seems hard to get our minds around. And so, just to give you some context, I, I want to again mention the God that we worship. This is God who in Luke one thirty seven it says, for nothing is impossible with God. So I just want to ask you a couple of rhetorical questions. What is it harder to do, to command the whale or create the whale? What's it harder to do? Right? It's so hard for us to believe that God would do it. But really, God made the whale. Of course he can command the whale. People command whales every day. It's called SeaWorld. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, he kept Jonah alive for three days. Really? Is that hard for God? God made life. Of course he can sustain it. Doctors sustain life every day. All the continents have doctors that sustain life. Of course God could sustain it. So I just want to give you a little context here. Oh, yeah, we believe in a big God. And we believe in a, a very real God, a very present God. And, and so I want you to picture the literal situation that Jonah's in right here. Because so many of us, even if we kind of get our minds into this story, we end up picturing Geppetto inside of Monstro from the, the Disney animated movie. And, and that's not what it's like at all. In fact, we saw this, um, I think it's really, it's, it's children's illustrators that mess us up. We've got this, uh, we found this visual of Jonah inside the mouth of the whale at his desk. Okay, that's not it, right? That's, that's not what it looks like. He would have been absolutely immobile, right? Crammed into pitch blackness. Even the smell. Right? Some of you can't even walk by the fish market at Pike's Place because of the smell. Imagine that smell times a zillion, right? As you're inside this thing being slowly digested. Okay. He was absolutely alone, totally isolated, and I would warrant riddled with failure and shame. Because he was the only one he could blame. For the mess that he was in, in this moment. And somewhere in that situation, Jonah realized there was no place left to turn. All of the things that he had relied on in the past, he had no options left. Everything else was gone. 
his cleverness, his relationships, his good looks, his popularity as a prophet, his designer robes, his privilege as a Hebrew, his convertible sports camel, none of those things mattered any longer. Here he is in the midst of a mess of his own making. And then the glorious truth hits him. I don't have anything left, but God is all I need. And so the scripture says in Jonah 2.1, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Jonah prayed, called out to God, realizes God is all he needs. And it says from inside the fish. I don't care what mess you're in right now. From in the middle of your mess, you can cry out to God. He'll hear you. No matter what's going on, you can pray and God will hear you. God is all you need. And once we understand that, then we can begin to make it personal. The next fill-in is this glorious understanding that my way leads to pain. My way leads to pain. And the reason why it's important for us to understand this about ourselves is because we will choose to put ourselves in perilous situations again and again and again. Because it's what we've done. It's because it's what we've known. And of course, because there's some small benefit from going our own way, living our own path, doing our own thing. I mean, sin does afford some small pleasure. If it didn't afford some small pleasure, no one would be tempted by it. And so we'll go after these things. We'll put ourselves in these situations again and again, just because it's what we've always done. We don't like change. And so we've got to understand that, no, my way leads to pain. Because we don't like change, until the pain of our current circumstances exceeds the pain of change, we won't change. We associate uh, change with pain. Now, we don't like to change. And I'll give you a couple of of examples of this. Um, Let's take uh, procrastination. That's an easy example. I think it hits all of us at some point or another. Procrastination. I tend to put off procrastinating until later, but that's that's just me. (laughs) So procrastination, if you've got a, a term paper coming up or a work project coming up or, you know, taxes, this season taxes are kind of on our mind, that, that what we would do is we would live life according to our own agenda and, and those projects, they don't sound fun. They, there's pain associated with those projects. So we'll keep putting that off until the pain of our current circumstance elevates above the pain of change where we actually knuckle under and doing it. And typically what that happens is sort of midnight on the night before it's due, then we realize, oh gosh, now there's pain. You know, if I turn in the paper and I get an F, or if I don't do my work project, my boss is angry, or pain, the IRS. So the idea is we've got to recognize that we can control this reality. There's this um, problem though. You're human, so am I. And because we don't like change, we keep putting it off, and we keep putting it off, and we keep putting it off. Until the, but then one day moment. Let me describe to you what that is. Some people, they will continue in an adulterous relationship because they think that the pain of change is greater than actually dealing with the scenario. And so they'll just keep going back there again and again and again. But then one day, get a call from the wife who says, I want you and your stuff out of the house by three o'clock today. I know all about Deborah. That's but then one day. 
Somebody who, who borrows a couple hundred bucks from the company and then borrows a couple hundred bucks more and, and then continues to borrow a couple hundred bucks, always intending to pay it back. They will continue to walk that road because the pain of change seems to be too difficult. And so they'll keep going there. But then one day, the police show up and suddenly that pain gets elevated. Some of you understand, because your loved ones have talked to you about this, your physicians have talked to you about this, that you're not in a good physical place and that you need to start taking care of diet. You need to start taking care of exercise. You need to start taking care of yourself. But you don't want to. There's pleasure associated with the way that you live right now and the amount of you know, television and Krispy Kremes. I'm not, these are lovely things, but I'm just saying... Uh, you would keep going into that scenario again and again, but then one day, right? But then one day, there's a crisis of health. Yeah. Some of you, you're unmarried, and you're in relationships. Those relationships become physical relationships. And you think to yourself, you know what? We really should put boundaries around this. We really should bring a relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's so fun and there's pleasure associated with where you are and how physical those relationships are. And so you continue to go there. But then one day, you realize that you're pregnant. And suddenly the situation that you're in, the the pain has now elevated. Now here's the good news in this whole thing. You don't have to wait until the but then one day to choose change. You can, uh, you can understand today. You can recognize today. My way leads to pain. When I go after my own agenda, when I run from God and pursue my own ends, it will lead to pain. You don't have to be in pain right now to choose God's way. You can make this understanding sort of ahead of time. And you can choose to reject your way and go God's way. God is all you need. And you can make that decision. You can place your trust in him today. So in the midst of pain, here's what we see Jonah pray. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Friends, so often for us mere mortals, it takes distress to wake us up. In Jonah's distress, he calls to the Lord. And it says, and he answered me. God was there. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. Notice how confident he is that God is listening, that God is present. The situation hasn't changed at all, but yet everything has changed because Jonah is crying out to God. He realized God is all he needs. He said, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord my God. You know what this passage says? It says, I am lost without you. It says, I don't have any hope apart from you. It is a picture of a resurrection. This is the truth that starts every Christian journey. This is the understanding that starts every AA meeting that happens around planet Earth any day of the week. Right? This is absolutely the beginning of wisdom. To recognize that on my own, I'm going to tank it. Going my own way, pursuing my own aims, walking along my own agenda, running from God. It's the gutter for sure. 
I'm going to hit my own mess. I'm going to dead end in messiness and it's going to be my fault because I chose to walk this road. In John 15, 15, Jesus says that apart from me, you can do nothing. And this truth is the realization that he's right. This is the essence of what we call repentance. Repentance is that word, to repent. It just means to turn around. And so we have an understanding. My way leads to pain. I'm not going to walk this way anymore. I'm going to turn and I'm going to embrace God because God is all I need. That's the essence of repentance. Now, repentance is not some sort of humble pie-eating obstacle course that God requires for us to walk. It's just what repentance looks like, turning to God looks like, that I don't want to continue to waste my time and to waste my life and to waste this opportunity I have living in the mess. I want to turn around and realize that all my answers are found in God. So Jonah says in verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Look at this next line. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Would you underline that phrase? This is so profound. Those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Up until this moment, Jonah thought everyone else had idols. He he, he could have pointed to the Ninevites and said, they have idols. Their idols have, you know, crazy names and they have statues for their idols. They have these images, they're golden or they're silver. They bow down, they pray to their idols, they burn incense to their idols. Like, he could have pointed to the different nations around and said, look at all these idols out here. But until this moment, he didn't realize Jonah had idols. He didn't realize that he had idols in his own life. The couple of idols that Jonah had... Uh, are the, even as a Hebrew, even as a prophet of God, he had idols. And, and we see that an idol is anything that we lean into, anything that we cling to, anything that we get our worth from, our default mode, where we go in trouble. Here's Jonah's idols. First, the idol of my way is best. It's called the idol of self-sufficiency. The second, the idol of my prejudice against the Ninevites. It's called the idol of self-superiority. Now, Jonah was the one who would have said he knew God. He knew all about him, read about him, wrote about him, preached about him. That Jonah loved God, that Jonah worshiped God. Jonah would be at the one in the synagogue with his hands raised, hollering praise and holy. Yet Jonah still had idols. Here's the point. You may know God. You may know all about him. You may read about him all the time. You may write about him. You may you know, pray, talk to other people about him. All sorts of stuff that you could do in activity. And yet, you still might have idols. There still might be these places in your life where you have not trusted the sufficiency of God. Where you have not bowed the knee and said, God, I want you to take control of this. Behaviors that you still want to cling to. Even though you know they're outside of the realm of God's provision for you. See, idols can strike anywhere, anytime. And, and I would say that all of us, when we hold to our idols, the scripture says, we forfeit the grace that could be ours. We're the ones who miss out. Right? If we cling to idols, we miss out on God's love. If we're holding on to idols, we're the ones limiting God's grace in our lives. Jonah realizes that. I'm the one blowing this thing. And he lays them down. What about you? 
Friends, we've had three weeks building to this moment right here, right now. What are your idols? What do you cling to that's not God? Where is it that you're forfeiting the grace that could be yours, that God wants to offer to you? This is the perfect moment to repent and to lay those things down. Now, Jonah continues to pray in verse 9. He says, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Look at this next line. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. See, in spite of all that had happened to him, in spite of the mess that he had found himself in, Jonah is in a place of praise. Because he realizes God is all he needs. Salvation comes from the Lord. And it's true, and the scriptures are very, very clear all the way throughout. Salvation comes from God. God is the one who saves. God is the only one who saves. That God saves us through the person of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he has offered us on the cross of Calvary. And, and we, we're going to have an opportunity a little later this morning to celebrate that fact by coming to his table and by breaking the bread and by experiencing the cup together, which represents his body and his blood sacrificed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. He is the Savior. And so Jesus is the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, or in the New Testament, we read that there's no other name under heaven by which we might be saved other than Jesus. So God is the one and the only one who provides salvation. And you might think that's exclusive. Sure, it'd be exclusive if it were a secret. It's not a secret. It's like there's one combination to the safe, untold riches inside the safe. But anyone can have the combination. It's Jesus. It's like one winning lottery ticket number, but, but anyone can have the lottery ticket number. It's Jesus, right? It's like one road that leads to heaven, and yet this one road has a map, and the map is for everyone, and, and this road's called Jesus. So, friends, understand that this is God's heart for you. He wants to save you. He wants to pour his grace out on your life. He wants you to turn away from your agenda and your pathway, which leads to pain and to mess. And instead, turn to Jesus and repent. And when we do, we will experience this next truth, the, the glorious salvation that he offers. God gives me rescue. God gives me rescue. Now, this next verse, Jonah 2.10, this might be one of my favorite verses in all the scripture. It says, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. All right. I just love that. I love that vomit means rescue. I love that. I, I just, it's so, and I'm from youth ministry background, and there's a proverb that says, as a dog returns to its vomit, and so we did a whole series about that. It's just videos, the whole bit. Like, I, I, that's where my mind works. So I want you to understand here for a moment. You've got to picture this moment, right? You can't understand Jonah unless you get your mental imagery kicking in. So the Lord commanded the fish, it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So you can just picture that scene. There's Jonah dumped onto dry land, piles of seaweed and fish, and there's the half-digested volleyball named Wilson, and there, you know, <laughs> Sting's message in a bottle. Like, it's all right there. And, and, and Jonah's slipping around on it, and there's, you know, the intestinal fluid, and it's just gross, right? It's just so disgusting, and the smell, and, you know. But to Jonah... It was paradise, right? To Jonah, it was absolute glory. 
And it was messy and it was gross, but to Jonah, it was beautiful. I mean, this was, you know, the winning lottery ticket. This was a lifetime supply of In-N-Out hamburgers. Like, this was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And so Jonah's there and he's hugging Wilson and he's dancing around. He spikes a conch, does a little football dance, praising God. Like, he is so, so happy at the rescue that God provided. Now, Like I said, it's a mess, so let's make it personal. When you cry out to God in the midst of your mess, when you recognize your way leads to pain, he's all you need, you cry out to God, you will experience salvation, but it might look messy. It might look like you have an honest, apologetic conversations with people that you've heard in your life. It might look like you facing your addictions head on. It might look like you making whatever change in your life you need to make. It might look messy, but it's absolutely what you need the most. And in order to get out of your glorious mess, there's just a few things we need to go after. The first, recognize where your running has led you. Recognize where it leads. To Jonah, it was pretty easy for him to recognize where his running led. He's in a fish, right? That's pretty, this is not my best day, he's saying to himself. So recognize where your running has led you to. What is the mess that you're dead ending into? Now, I want to ask you to make this personal. Where is it that your running has led? What has swallowed you whole in your life? What is it that God needs to rescue you from? As you look at your life, this might be easy to see. It might be intense and right in your face. For some of you, even as I talk about this concept, all you can see is your sin. You feel shame. It weighs on you like a burden. And maybe it is an addiction. An addiction to substance. An addiction to sex. There's this addiction or there's this behavior pattern you keep going back to again and again. You hate it, yet it owns you. It it swallowed you whole. That's your mess. You can cry out to God. You can recognize where it's leading you. This is what God wants to rescue you from. For others of you, you're in a place that I would say you may be too comfortable in your relationship with God. You don't think you have any mess at all. Right? This is where Jonah was at the beginning of the story. This is where the Pharisees were in Jesus' day. They, they, they were just, they assumed, hey, everything's rosy between us and God. Whatever we want, it's fine because we're at that privileged level. And if that's you, then I just want to suggest some things to you. You know that last argument you had with your spouse where you were sure you were innocent and your spouse was guilty? You weren't that innocent. Those theological stances that you have that you are absolutely certain of, that you think to yourself, of course, anyone who doesn't have the same theological stance as me is an idiot. Self-righteousness, self-superiority, self-justification. Friends, those things, I would warn, are even more insidious. They are more prideful. They are more arrogant. They're more difficult to root out and even see because we're blinded to these things in our own life. And if that's where you are or you think you are, then I would just encourage you, talk to a loved one. Talk to a friend. Talk to somebody who cares about you but is unimpressed by you. And even better yet, talk to God about it. Look at the scriptures. This is where David was. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious 
thoughts, right? You're asking for God's help, and you're ready to hear from him. And this should be a high priority for us as we do this introspection. We want to know where it is we're missing the mark. Again, the next scripture from Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Cry out for insight and understanding. Search for them as you would for lost money or hidden treasure. You, you want to know. You desire it, you seek it. And when you do cry out to God, by the way, when you do recognize where your running has led you, you need to understand you're going to be met with open arms from God. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to rub your nose in your sin. He wants to rub your sin out. And so God will meet you and God will rescue you. He'll pour his grace out over you. As as you release the idols that you've held, you will experience his grace poured out over you. Story, many years ago when my oldest daughter was an infant, it was late at night, and she's just, you know, a tiny little baby, and we hear, in the middle of the night, wailing coming from her bedroom. And so I get up, and I go to check on her, and I, I get up, because it's my turn, I get up, and because my wife wouldn't let me pretend to sleep through it, I, I get up, and I go, and I check on my daughter. And I go in, and I see that my little Alex, she has somehow managed to take off all of her pajamas and her diaper... And even all of the sheets and blankets on on the uh, crib that she was in. And they're all soaking wet. She's laying there in a pile of her own production. Okay? Now, I I turn the lights on. I see the scenario. And I say, Alex, you're almost three months old. You made this mess. Now you're going to have to lie in it. And I went back to bed. No, I didn't, right? Because my wife wouldn't let me. I, um, no, no, I, because I, I'm a good dad. I love my daughter, and she's crying out from the middle of her mess. And so I scoop her up, and I clean her off, and I get her some warm clothes, and I fix the bed. And God is a good dad. Not good like Mike Howerton good. He's infinitely better than me. And so as you cry out to God, as you call out to God from the middle of your mess, understand that he's going to wrap you in his arms. And he's going to rescue you from that place. He's going to help you, clean you up, and get you going again. Okay, And that's why it's important for us not only to recognize where the running is led, but return with a humble heart. That we return to him. Literally turn. We turn away from our own path. We turn to him. We, we stop going the direction of our agenda. We turn and we seek God. We seek his face. We seek his presence. And I do just want to hit this point home. God is not going to gloat over you. He, he's not going to continue to condemn or, or to judge or to, to put you down because of your sin. Scripture says just the opposite. God knows exactly what it's like. God knows how hard this road is in the fallen world. God knows how tempting sin is. God knows what it's like to be human. See, the scripture says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
And God is so different than we are. As humans, we are tempted to this. That if we don't have a personal temptation in some area, if a friend comes to us and shares that they are tempted in that area, we begin to judge them. How could you be tempted by that? What a ridiculous thing to be tempted by that. Of course, we're not tempted by it. What this scripture says is that Jesus is just the opposite. You come to Jesus, you confess, hey, this is an area of struggle for me. This is weakness. This is brokenness. And what Jesus says is, I know how hard that road is for you. I know how easy it would be to just give in. I know the pain along your journey. I've walked this road and I want you to know I sympathize. I love you. And I want to encourage you in the journey. And I want to embolden you. And I want to equip you. I want to empower you. Continue to walk this road. Let me rescue you and we'll journey together. That's what you'll experience from Jesus. And this morning, as you do recognize some idols and as you do recognize your running, I pray that as you confess these things, you would hear Jesus say to you, I bleed grace for you. And that there is a better way to go. So would you let me take your burden of shame? Let me take your burden of guilt away. Let me take these things that you think will bring you temporary pleasure. Let me take those things away and let me rescue you. And let me redeem you and let me walk with you. And let's be on this journey together. So my prayer is you would hear Jesus say those things to you with a humble heart. Because a humble heart hears Jesus. And a humble heart trusts that God is moving you exactly where you need to be. See, I trust that God has brought you here into this room this morning for this purpose. And a humble heart recognizes that God provides for us along the way, that God will never forsake the humble heart that seeks him. And that's what the scripture says, Psalm 910. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So recognize where your running has led you. Return to him. The final step of getting out of your glorious mess is surround yourself with those who are committed to supporting you. Surround yourself with those who love you, who want your best, who are on the journey with you. And your life group is a great way for this to happen, this support. We have all kinds of support groups at Overlake, Celebrate Recovery that meets on Tuesday nights. But surround yourself with people who want to be cheerleaders on your journey that will support you and encourage you, that will lift you up when times get tough. I love our CR ministry on Tuesday nights, Celebrate Recovery. They have this way that they encourage their folks. If, if somebody's been walking in, you know, their freedom from their struggle, whatever it is, if they've been walking in sobriety, say, for a year, they celebrate by getting a, a one-year chip. And they carry that chip as a badge of honor, been walking clean for a year, whatever the issue is. And so if somebody's been walking clean for a month, they celebrate with a chip, a one-month chip. But the one that I like the best is the 24-hour chip. The one where it is so messy and life is so crazy and the temptation is so difficult. And they have confessed and they have, they have recognized where the running goes. They don't want to go that way anymore and And they've returned to God and and they're surrounding themselves with people who can be an encouragement to them. But it is so tough that they've, they've been clean 
for 24 hours. And they get a chip celebrating what God is doing in their life. We call this celebrating small victories. But it is absolutely essential for all of us on the journey of faith that we're on. And even as I've been thinking about this message, praying over this message, I want you to know that your pastor, I've walked a road this week where every day I've sought the Lord on this issue. Every day I've asked him to reveal idols in my life. Sinful thought patterns, self-righteous kinds of stuff, doing things to be seen by others. These kinds of, of motives that are hidden and they're insidious and they're prideful. And, and I want you to know that all week long I've been trying to lay it down. I've been confessing and I've been repenting and I've been asking God to move and, and, and to save me from these gross parts of me. And, and I'm going to pray right now and I want to ask you to pray with me. And I want to ask you to do the same kind of work this morning. We're coming to the Lord's table in just a few moments. And I want you to to spend these moments laying sin down, confessing sin, rejecting idols and returning to God. And so would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray together this morning. And Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for taking the first step that, that you came ready to save that you came as the, the arm of salvation from our Father God, that you came seeking us in order to find us and grace us and forgive us. And so we want to say thank you. To, right now, Lord, we lay it down. We ask, in fact, that you would reveal new things that we've not yet laid down so that we could lay those things down, lay those sins down, lay those thought patterns down, lay those behavior cycles down. We want to lay down our idols. We want to lay down anything that keeps us running from you, everything that prevents us from turning to you. We lay it down now in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask that as we turn from those things, that we would experience your arms. We pray that you would meet us with your grace, that your forgiveness would wash over us like a flood that you would allow us to recognize that you do rescue and you have rescued and you are rescuing us right here and right now. And we love you. We trust that this is a reality that we're speaking of, that your spirit is moving in our hearts and our minds right now and we wanna give you all the glory and the honor and the praise because you are the one who does the heavy lifting. And we thank you for your rescue. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 